scumbag congressman, who owns AI, Biden corruption avalanche, kids' picture book sexualization, election integrity. I'm Mark Paquita, and we'll explore these topics and more in today's sixth episode of the Unite American Show. Welcome. I want to introduce you to the latest scumbag elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, if you haven't met him already, Representative Dan Goldman. If the name sounds familiar, it might be because Goldman was the lead Democrat counsel in the first impeachment inquiry against President Trump and the lead counsel to House managers in President Trump's subsequent impeachment trial. Goldman is among the wealthiest members of Congress with an estimated personal net worth of up to $253 million, according to House financial disclosure forms. He's the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune. As you might expect, Danny Boy is a Sidwell Friends, Yale, and Stanford kind of guy. That alone makes me not want to like him. Last week, Danny Boy tweeted out this disgusting, despicable tweet. It says, With anti-Semitic violence at record highs, today's hearing confirmed that invoking George Soros's name is nothing short of blatant anti-Semitism. I call on all Republicans to stop using this anti-Semitic trope immediately. To which I responded, Bull, George Soros is a POS. Watch him here. He has no soul. He sold it to the devil long ago. He acts like he's God when he's nothing more than a corrupt bag of wrinkled, dry skin. He sold out his fellow Jews. You should be ashamed of yourself for posting this. It's heinous. Watch this video especially the part where Soros speaks about how he feels about what he did during the Second World War. To Budapest, where George Soros was born 68 years ago to parents who were wealthy, well-educated, and Jewish. When the Nazis occupied Budapest in 1944, George Soros's father was a successful lawyer. He lived on an island in the Danube and liked to commute to work in a rowboat. But knowing there were problems ahead for the Jews, he decided to split his family up. He bought them forged papers, and he bribed a government official to take 14-year-old George Soros in and swear that he was his Christian godson. But survival carried a heavy price tag. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds, confiscating property from the Jews. These are pictures from 1944 of what happened to George Soros's friends and neighbors. You're a Hungarian Jew mm -hmm. who escaped the Holocaust mm -hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? that one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events, uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who 
swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property yes. from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child, you don't you don't see the connection, uh, but it was it created no no problem at all. No feeling of guilt. No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there, because uh, that was... Uh, uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets, that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? It was actually probably the happiest year of my life, that year of German occupation. For me, it was a very positive experience. It's a, a strange thing, you know, because you see incredible suffering around you, and, and in fact, you are, you are in considerable danger uh, yourself. But you're 14 years old, and you don't believe that it can actually touch you. You have a belief in yourself, your belief in your father. It's a very happy-making, exhilarating experience. George Soros has no conscience or soul. He is an evil, corrupt criminal. Nobody will weep when Soros meets his maker, except those like Goldman, the scumbag who can use Soros to further divide Americans with bullshit claims of anti-Semitism. Goldman is a heinous human being. Who owns AI? The past two episodes, I've talked about AI, artificial intelligence, what it is, the buzzwords of the technology, its dangers, and the corporate entities involved with OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT. Today, I want to help you understand the players in these companies. Microsoft, based on news reports, recently invested $10 billion in OpenAI and will ultimately own 49% of the company. This follows a billion-dollar investment in 2018 and another in 2021. The 2021 investment wasn't announced by Microsoft when it was made, and thus neither was the amount. This is quite bizarre. As a publicly traded company, you and I can buy shares in Microsoft. They are required to publicly announce and file documentation with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, news of material impact to Microsoft's business and finances. This wasn't done. 
Microsoft needs to explain the basis on which it determined the 2021 investment in OpenAI to be immaterial to its business, allowing the financial details to go without public disclosure under SEC rules. And the SEC should be asking for how Microsoft justifies not making a material disclosure to investors. I've dropped links to the information about Microsoft's investment in OpenAI in the show notes. Let's now turn our attention to the other principals and investors in OpenAI. This episode will cover key employees. We'll talk about investors in a subsequent episode. Greg Brockman is the chairman and president of OpenAI, as well as one of its founders. He attended Harvard and MIT, but it doesn't look like he graduated. Forbes shows he dropped out at both schools. Prior to OpenAI, he was CTO, chief technology officer at Stripe. Stripe is an Irish-American financial services and software-as-a-service company, dual headquartered in South San Francisco and Dublin, Ireland. It primarily sells payment processing services and application programming interfaces for e-commerce websites and mobile applications. It competes with Square, a similar company founded by Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter. You know, the guy who loved censoring and banning us. Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, both original investors in Stripe, were also initial investors in OpenAI. It's where they came to know Greg Brockman. Brockman is a very smart and very capable IT intellect. Ilya Sutskever is a co-founder and the chief scientist of OpenAI. He attended the University of Toronto, where he got a BS in mathematics and an MS and PhD in computer science under the supervision of Jeffrey Hinton. Jeffrey Hinton is a British-Canadian cognitive psychologist and computer scientist, most noted for his work on artificial neural networks. Since 2013, he has divided his time working for Google and the University of Toronto. After graduation from Toronto in 2012, Sutskever spent two months as a postdoc with Andrew Ng at Stanford University. Ng is a British-born computer scientist and a technology entrepreneur focusing on machine learning and artificial intelligence, AI. Ng was a co-founder and head of Google Brain and was the former chief scientist at Beidou, building the company's artificial intelligence group into a team of several thousand people. Google Brain was a deep learning artificial intelligence research team under the umbrella of Google AI a research division at Google dedicated to artificial intelligence. Since 2011, Google Brain combined open-ended machine learning research with information systems and large-scale computing resources. It was merged into former Google sister company DeepMind to form Google DeepMind just this month. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Beidou is a Chinese multinational technology company specializing in internet-related services, products, and artificial intelligence, headquartered in Beijing. It is one of the largest AI and internet companies in the world. Ng was first at Google doing AI development work, then moved to Chinese-owned Beidou. 
What do you think the chances are that some of Google's most valuable intellectual property in artificial intelligence made its way to Beidou? After Stanford, Satskeva returned to the University of Toronto and joined Jeffrey Hinton's new research company, DNN Research, a spin-off of Hinton's research group. Four months later, in March 2013, Google acquired DNN Research and hired Satskever as a research scientist at Google Brain. At Google Brain, Satskever worked to create the sequence-to-sequence -sequence learning algorithm. At the end of 2015, he left Google to become a director of newly founded OpenAI. It's not hyperbole to say Satskever is a computer science genius. Sam Altman is the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of OpenAI. He could also be a problem child for Americans in America when it comes to AI. Altman is an American entrepreneur, investor, and programmer. He was the co-founder of Looped and WorldCoin. He was the president of Y Combinator and briefly the CEO of Reddit. He has further invested in nuclear energy as well as numerous technology companies. Altman was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine in 2023. He's a major Democrat donor and was rumored to have considered running for governor of California in 2018. He's wealthy, where Brockman and Sitzgaver are not yet. OpenAI will get them there. From Business Insider. After the 2016 election, Altman who tweeted that he voted against Donald Trump, said he decided to talk to 100 Trump supporters around the U.S. to understand what they did and didn't like about the president. He also wanted to know what would convince them not to vote for him in the future. In a thread on Twitter, Altman said he was voting against Trump because I believe the principles he stands for represent an unacceptable threat to America. He also said Peter Thiel, who was still working with YC, Y Combinator at the time, is a high-profile supporter of Trump and that I disagree with this. But he said, YC is not going to fire someone for supporting a major party nominee. YC and Thiel stopped working together a year later in 2017 for unspecified reasons. During his interviews, Altman said he did not expect to talk to so many Muslims, Mexicans, black people, and women in the course of the project. He also said almost everyone he approached was willing to talk to him, but they also didn't want to share their names in fear of being targeted by those people in Silicon Valley if they knew I voted for him. Altman said one of the people he talked to in Silicon Valley made him sign a confidentiality agreement before talking because she feared losing her job for supporting Trump. I want to read you Sam Altman's tweet thread about President Trump. Altman wrote on Twitter, October 16, 2016, Official YC post coming in the next couple of days, but to make my personal beliefs clear... One, I am voting against Trump because I believe the principles he stands for represent an unacceptable threat to America. Two, I think he's abusive, erratic, and prone to fits or rage. 
I think he is unfit to be president and would be a threat to national security. Three, Thiel is a high-profile supporter of Trump. I disagree with this. YC is not going to fire someone for supporting a major party nominee. Four, we need to talk to each other more, not less. Most people think roughly half the country is severely misguided. Then he writes on the very same day, I felt bad immediately after tweeting it. It was a cheap shot on something that deserves nothing but seriousness. He then goes on, trying to figure out a better way to express the same point. If anyone's erratic, it's Altman. I don't know about you, but why would I care what some guy in Silicon Valley thinks about a political candidate? It would appear to me that someone like this, making lots of money, being very wealthy, has a superiority complex or God complex. These are all symptoms of some level of mental illness. I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say this. So we've got individuals who are anti-Trump and most likely anti-Trump voters leading one of the biggest, if not the biggest, AI companies in the world. And we can connect the dots to at least relationships with China. We're concerned about the dangers of AI, and the last thing we need are erratic, never-Trumper, anti-Trump voter China lovers running the show. If you think this is bad, wait until we talk about OpenAI's investors in a subsequent episode. I saw this tweet from 10% Joe, the head, the capo di capi of the Biden Cosa Nostra, the Biden mafia, the Biden family crime syndicate, and I got angry, as I usually do when I see the lie. It's a lie that Democrats are trying to promulgate, especially now as we're dealing with a debt ceiling discussion. No reputable and reasonable economist, Republican politician, or informed conservative voter believes in a trickle-down theory to defend tax cuts. This is a fabrication by opponents of tax cuts, typically Democrats, who refuse to look at facts. They have built a specious theory, attached it to and blamed it on the wealthy and Republicans, and use it to support tax policy that pays off their wealthy Wall Street campaign funders. Their support of a policy of higher taxes for the rich is most detrimental to the lower and middle classes. This is a fact. High taxes cause the wealthy to move their capital from investments that generate regular income and possibly capital gains income into tax-free investments like municipal bonds and, in a tax-evasive manner, offshore. This drives down tax revenue, which causes governments to further raise taxes. These tax increases fall disproportionately on the lower and middle classes. It also incentivizes profligate spending by governments because of their access to cheap money. Thomas Sowell, one of my favorite economic, cultural, and political writers and intellectuals, wrote a great analysis titled Trickle-Down Theory and Tax Cuts for the Rich. I urge you to read it. It's a 10-minute read. A link is in the show notes.
We now have definitive proof Democrat politicians and operatives interfered in the 2020 presidential election, doing everything they could to bury the Hunter Biden laptop story. Polls have shown that had American voters known about the story, buried by our mainstream media and further covered up by rigged and manipulated misinformation efforts within the highest levels of our government and intelligence community, President Trump would have easily won the 2020 election, even despite widespread voter fraud, manipulation, and rigging. From Newsweek, Hunter Biden has become the center of renewed political controversy after it emerged former acting CIA director Mike Morrill helped organize a letter by 50 intelligence community figures ahead of the 2020 presidential election, suggesting leaked emails from Hunter's laptop were Russian disinformation. Morrell made the confession in private sworn testimony to the House Judiciary Committee, saying he acted after speaking to Anthony Blinken, then part of the Biden campaign and now Secretary of State, because he wanted Joe Biden to win the election. The article continues, Appearing before the House Judiciary Committee, Morrill said he was contacted by Blinken on or before October 17, 2020, which triggered that intent, leading him to organize the letter which was provided to Politico. Morrell admitted he acted because I wanted Biden to win the election. He added that Biden campaign chairman Steve Ricchetti later called to thank me for putting the statement out. As I wrote on Twitter, Mike Morrell is no hero. He made the decision to weaponize the intelligence community against President Trump for the furtherance of his career. I'm guessing his coming out is an early indication that the crimes of the Biden crime family syndicate will come out. This peckerhead is trying to save his name and career. Morrell should be vilified, not lauded. When it comes to politics, I'm talking grassroots politics. I've been discussing what I call concepts. They're statements of fact I feel we all need to understand and agree upon. If not 100%, then 80% or more. So we have a place where we're all on the same page, a starting point, if you will, from which we can make plans to get to where we want to be, to actualize the changes we know in our hearts, minds, and souls need to be made to fix America and take back our freedom, rights, and republic. Let me repeat them again. It's important. We've talked about American voters, about all of them, not just you and me. We must agree. 80% of American voters are disengaged or apathetic. I've labeled this segment of Americans the unenlightened. The 80% unenlightened get whatever political news they do consume from left-leaning and very left-leaning news outlets. They're good people getting bamboozled, and they're often naive. Social media doesn't reach much of this 80%, if any. It's an echo chamber for the 20% who are engaged, most, if not all, who can't be persuaded to change their position with facts, data, and logic, even if their positions are factually incorrect. 
We talked about our current breed of elected politicians, about whom we must agree we're fighting the uniparty. It's not R versus D or conservative versus liberal. It's insiders, them versus outsiders, us. It's a rigged game. 80 to 90% of our elected officials are bad hires. We elect stinkers by falling for their acts, their facades, and their caricatures. Our default position must be to trust none of them. And then finally, understand that their number one priority is re-election. We must view everything they do through this lens first, or we'll continue to be swindled and bamboozled. So far, we've talked about two strategies to work to take back our freedom, rights, and republic. They are, we need more primary election competition. Steel sharpens steel. We need county and state party organizations to commit to not make primary election endorsements of candidates. Election, not selection. Primary election competition will deliver us better candidates, as competition does in every aspect of life. No primary endorsements will allow grassroots voters to be electing the best candidates rather than party insiders playing favorites and selecting candidates. These two strategies require you to get involved and pay attention to what's going on in your county and state party organizations. Next week, we'll talk about how you can do this. But right now in the next segment, I have another strategy item for you. The two strategies we've talked about so far require us to identify and run better candidates and then to get them elected. Elections are one of the keys to restoring our freedom, rights, and republic. But as we saw in the segment of the intelligence community letter on the Hunter Biden laptop, progressives have no problem interfering in our elections in any way and every way possible. We all know this. So election integrity becomes mandatory or we'll never reach our goals. What can you do? Here's the answer to that question. You must get involved in the election integrity process. That leads to another question. How? First, some election basics. Then the answer to how you can get involved to improve the integrity of our elections. Elections in the U.S. are controlled at the county level with a couple of exceptions. This means we need teams of citizens in every county, of which there are more than 3,000, who make it their job to keep their eyes and ears open to election fraud and develop a task group to keep the spotlight on every county board of election in the country. To do this, I recommend you get on the email list for the Election Integrity Network, or EIN. EIN is building what they call an election integrity infrastructure to attract, engage, and activate election integrity volunteers across the nation to have a citizen-led election integrity enforcement network of tens of thousands of citizens watching every aspect of our elections. Here's a short clip from EIN that I edited for time. The ballot box is under attack. The process is broken. And we don't know who's counting. 
For more than a decade, leftist special interests have spent billions, that's billions with a B, to build a massive election infrastructure to influence and manipulate our electoral process to produce their socialist vision for our nation. And now, what stands in their way are tens of thousands of patriotic Americans who are determined to stop this subversion of our elections. If we want future elections to belong to the American people, now is the time to engage, to stand united against those who would discard our most basic civil right in pursuit of their political power. This is the mission of the Election Integrity Network, and we're working every day to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. EIN is uniting conservative leaders in Washington, D.C., and across the nation in every state, bringing the resources of the entire movement together to set strategy and to expose the coordinated attempts by the left to undermine the democratic process. We're training grassroots activists at election integrity summits across the country with training videos and our citizen's guide to building an election integrity infrastructure. We're equipping citizens with the resources and the tools and the information to restore election integrity in their own communities. The Election Integrity Network is a united group of patriots dedicated to protecting voting rights. This is our calling. I urge you to get on EIN's mailing list and find out if there is an Election Integrity Network started in your state and county. If not, I encourage you to start them. Links are in the show notes. And to provide further evidence the Biden takedown is happening, it was disclosed that a whistleblower from the IRS recently came forward, and it's believed that he's blowing the whistle on an investigation of Hunter Biden for tax fraud by the IRS, which is being buried by the U.S. prosecutor investigating Hunter Biden. Here's a video clip from CBS News oddly telling much of the truth. This tells me all the stars are aligning to take down both Hunter Biden and 10% Joe. In the federal criminal investigation into Hunter Biden's tax returns, an attorney for an IRS supervisor sent a letter to lawmakers today asking for whistleblower protection, saying his client has information that suggests the investigation is being improperly influenced by, quote, preferential treatment and politics. Here's CBS News chief investigative correspondent, Jim Axelrod. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Attorney Mark Lytle's client is a supervisory special agent at the IRS who's prepared to tell Congress the investigation he's been working on has been hampered by what he thinks is special treatment. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. Lytle wouldn't talk in specifics, declining to identify either his client or the target of the investigation his client helped conduct. Can you identify him? I can't at this stage, Jim. But CBS News has learned the investigation the whistleblower worked on is about Hunter Biden. What we're doing is, is being completely cooperative. That was Biden two years ago, after the DOJ opened an investigation into his finances. 
The FBI collected what it believed was sufficient evidence to charge Biden with tax crimes and last year sent its findings to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. Since then, silence. Why can't your client talk to us directly at this point? There are laws that provide protection to whistleblowers, and he has to navigate that. Today, Lytle sent this letter to Congress, claiming his client could provide information that would contradict sworn testimony by a senior political appointee. I have promised to ensure that he's able to carry out uh, his investigation. CBS News has learned that was Attorney General Merrick Garland, who gave testimony about the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware conducting the Hunter Biden investigation. Lytle says neither he nor his client are motivated by politics. Would you find any evidence or allegation of a political agenda? No. To him, the truth is one truth and he wants to come forward with it. Lytle told us the whistleblower has been with the IRS for more than a decade and has extensive documentation to support his allegations. The things he's been through are, are very well documented in emails and other communications with the Department of Justice. We asked Mark Lytle if there's a chance his client can only see his slice of the investigation and not the big picture. He said that's possible, but that his client had expressed his concerns to superiors a number of times before seeking whistleblower status. Neither the IRS, Department of Justice, or a lawyer for Hunter Biden would comment. Nora? Jim Axelrod, thank you. If your friends and family who are Biden voters haven't seen this, please find a way to make sure they do, even if you must clockwork orange them. If you believe the Fox News settlement with Dominion, the voting machine company, was a win for Dominion and a loss for Fox, you're not thinking deeply enough. And it might not be what you think. They're all in on the scam. There is no difference between George Soros and Rupert Murdoch. None. My take on the Fox settlement with Dominion starts with knowing that discovery granted to Dominion by the judge was wide-ranging. A trial would make public that Fox News executives were censoring on-air talent, keeping them from reporting things favorable to President Trump. Ever heard of Paul Ryan, the Trump-hating life-loser ex-speaker who fought President Trump, along with Mitch McConnell, the entire first two years of President Trump's term, losing us the House, that Paul Ryan? Ryan has never let up on his hatred for President Trump. Recently, this windbag told ABC News, I'm proud of the accomplishments during the Trump administration of the tax reform, the deregulation, and criminal justice reform. I'm really excited about the judges we got on the bench, not just the Supreme Court, but throughout the judiciary, Ryan told ABC News chief Washington correspondent and this week co-anchor Jonathan Carl in an exclusive interview that aired Sunday. But I am a never again Trumper. Why? Because I want to win and we lose with Trump. It was clear to us in 18, in 20, and now in 2022. The gas bag continued. We lost the House in 18, Ryan continued. We lost the presidency in 20. We lost the Senate in 20. And now in 2022, we should have and could have won the Senate. We didn't, 
And we have a much lower majority in the House because of that Trump factor. He's blaming President Trump for losing the House in 2018 when it was his and McConnell's fault, period. It was Paul Ryan, together with Mitch McConnell, colluding against President Trump for his first two years in office, working against everything he tried to do that cost the GOP the House, set up two sham impeachments, and cost us President Trump's reelection. I can never forgive them for that because look what it got us, 10% Joe Biden. Paul Ryan is also on the board of directors of Fox Corporation, parent of Fox News. According to salary.com, as a member of the board of directors of Fox Corp, Paul D. Ryan made $334,986 in total compensation. Of this total, $140,000 was re received as fees earned or paid in cash. $194,986 was awarded as stock. This information is according to proxy statements filed for the 2022 fiscal year. Fox pays to have a never-Trumper on its board. More than half of Fox viewers are Trump supporters. It's actually 63%. I am one of them. Every one of us would walk away knowing Fox is no better than CNN or MSNBC. That's what would have happened if Fox had gone to trial. My head and my gut tell me this is why they settled with Dominion. I'd bet my house on it, and I'm mortgage-free. If you haven't heard, the stenographer for Joe Biden while he was Barack Obama's VP has come forward with some explosive information from the New York Post. Then Vice President Joe Biden visited Ukraine on a mission to bolster the country's energy industry days after his son Hunter joined the board of natural gas company Burisma in 2014 which a former White House stenographer claims implicates the now 80-year-old in a foreign influence peddling kickback scheme. Mike McCormick says he was with the current National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, then a Biden aide, in the press cabin of Air Force Two en route to Kiev on April 21, 2014, as he outlined how the world's wealthiest country, would help the deeply corrupt post-Soviet state build its gas industry. McCormick added, Joe Biden was over there telling them, you can't be corrupt, you can't be corrupt, while he was corrupt, McCormick says. Look, this is Air Force Two. This is Joe Biden's plane. He's in control of it. Jake Sullivan was in the front of the plane with Joe Biden in a meeting, and then he walks back in the plane to talk to the press. Now, McCormick tells the Post that he wants to testify before the federal grand jury in Delaware considering charges against Hunter, saying he has relevant information that the FBI ignored. They've been looking at Hunter Biden, but this ties Joe Biden and Sullivan into promoting a kickback scheme with Ukraine, he said, it's the timeline that does it. Hunter's role at Burisma was not made public until a May 12, 2014 press release from the company. The article also said, 
McCormick provided the Post screenshots of an online FBI tip submission form that he says he completed in February. He has yet to hear back. Lying to the FBI is a crime punishable by up to five years in prison. It's a long, complicated, comprehensive article. I encourage you to read it. A link to it will be in the show notes. Let's talk about the picture book for kids, maybe your kids, titled Prince and Knight by Daniel Hack from the Daily Signal website. The rhyming story, Prince and Knight, puts a homosexual twist on the classic tale of a prince in search of his true love. In the first few pages, we meet a handsome and sincere prince who needs a bride before he can take his place as king, but none of the ladies the prince meets are right for him. From the book, the prince met many ladies, and he made them all swoon, but it was soon clear that he was singing a different tune. When a dragon attacks the prince's kingdom, he rushes to fight the beast, but the prince can't beat the dragon alone. Enter the knight. Together, the prince and the knight defeat the dragon. Embarking on such a dangerous act of courage would likely unite the two strangers in brotherly friendship in a classic children's tale, but not in this tale. The knight took off his helmet to reveal his handsome face, and as they gazed into each other's eyes, their hearts began to race. To solidify the relationship between the two men, the story ends with a wedding. And on the two men's wedding day, the air filled with cheer and laughter, for the prince and his shining knight would live happily ever after. This is yet another grooming early sexualization of kids through books. Amazon shows it targeted at ages 2 to 8 and grades preschool to third grade. Is this what you want your preschooler to hear and read? Not me, and I don't care who calls me what for saying this. I'm calling what I'm about to say next my plea to those in the bureaucracy of D.C. There are people in our three-letter agencies, FBI, CIA, and NSA, who know what's going on right now, who know exactly how big a criminal Joe Biden is, not to mention those in the DOJ, DHS, NIH, CDC, FTC, and other agencies and departments of the federal government. They know all the lies. They know all about the corruption. They stay silent because they're either cowards are part of it, support it, or think looking the other way relieves them of responsibility to their fellow Americans. Fellow Americans like you and me, but more importantly, fellow Americans like the J6 detainees and the 13 young patriot heroes killed in Afghanistan due to Joe Biden's depravity. I pray those who know come forward quickly, confess, and beg for forgiveness. Because I know this, men and women whose families have been impacted by these people, by the lies, the corruption, the criminality, which is unbelievably deep, will want swift and brutal justice. 
I have a keen sense that that justice, when it happens, will make the tribulations of Job look like a children's birthday party. We must let these monsters know the evil they've allowed to go on, evil they aided and abetted and often encouraged, was so egregious that they deserve and will get no compassion. In the end, they will be begging to spend the rest of their lives in the most heinous state and federal prisons, as opposed to the punishment they will be dealt by the American people. That's our show for today. Please subscribe to the Unite American Show on Rumble or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to give us a like where you can. And please join our email list at unite.gfiohio.com. That's unite.gfiohio.com. And follow me on Twitter at mpakita. That's at M-P-U-K-I-T-A. And please remember, unity without truth is conspiracy. Stay safe. I'll see you next week.